Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, as we come to look at um, Hebrews chapter 11, let us uh, pray and ask for God's help. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us and that we can hear you through the pages of the scriptures. And we pray that as we listen this morning, that you would encourage our hearts helping us to obey you and trust you, keeping our eyes fixed on heaven, trusting in your power. And Father, we pray that you would do this through these words that you have caused to be written for our encouragement so that we would persevere. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Olympics have been great, haven't they? I've particularly, I think, enjoyed watching the emotions that have been evident and all there. And so Mo Farah last night and the joy at winning the 5,000. I particularly enjoyed though, the commentary box, the Denise Lewis jumping up and down, Steve Cram commentating, can contain the joy that he felt. And then there's been the, the interviews which have, from those who've won have just been brilliant, thanking everybody and their goldfish. Uh, you see the great joy, haven't we? And yet you also see the great sadness of people who failed the people I think I feel most for in that category are those who are in the, the long distance races. They've trained and they've practiced and they've come to the race and they have to stop. They can't finish. They, they, they just pull off the track. You feel so sad for them, thinking all the effort that they've put in and they've given up. And then you, I think to myself, but why didn't they just keep going? Why didn't they just finish? You see, and as disappointing as that is, people not finishing a race at the Olympics, it's nothing compared to the sadness of those who start the Christian race and don't finish. I think one of the the saddest verses in the Bible is in 2 Timothy, where we, we read of Demas, who we are told, because he loved the world, deserted Paul and went to Thessalonica. You know, since then, there have been those who have started as Christians and given up. Those who've turned back, no longer considering themselves Christians. Now, we all probably know people like that who have started and then given up. But this week I was reminded of seeing Jonathan Edwards on TV commentating on the Olympics. The Olympic gold medalist who once said, My relationship with Jesus and God is fundamental to everything I do. I have made a commitment and dedication in that relationship to serve God in every area of my life. And yet he now has renounced his faith. Now, I don't know where he's at now. But we all know others, don't we, who have started and turned back. Now, as sad as it is, it's not really necessarily a surprise This letter to the Hebrews that we've been looking at in this chapter 11 was written to Christians who were in danger of drifting away. Christians who were on a high expecting Christ to return at any moment and yet amidst that excitement there were those who were turning back, drifting away. And if the pressure was felt by them 2,000 years ago, we still feel the pressure today. Now, we might look and think, well, 2,000 years have gone past since Christ was here, and has anything really happened? Has Christ not come back? And we can wonder, will he ever come back? And so we worry. And then we face persecution over standing up for biblical truth and think to ourselves, well, maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe we should just stop. 
Or we think we're missing out because we are living for Jesus and think, if I just gave it up, I could do anything and everything that I wanted to do. Well, into the pressure of doubting faith, the faith, into the silence, into the pressure to shrink back, chapter 11 of Hebrews this summer has been encouraging us to keep going, encouraging us to keep persevering in faith, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to keep running the race marked out for us. And this morning, as we've been going through Hebrews 11, we come to Abraham, who is another one who is presented as an encouragement to keep running. And I want us to see three things from Abraham as we start this morning. We'll see faith's beginning. We'll see that faith starts when God speaks and Abraham hears and trusts it. We will see faith's focus. Abraham kept going by focusing on heaven. And we'll see faith's power that Abraham believed in the resurrection from the dead. Well, first, faith's beginning. Faith's beginning. Now, Abraham, as we come to him here, he's the greatest example of faith in the Bible, really. Paul mentions him in Romans and Galatians. In Hebrews, he comes up in chapter 6 and then here. And in Hebrews 11, of all the characters mentioned, he gets the most attention. And as we wonder how he could have such faith, we find as we read these words that it's actually because of God that he has faith at all. You see, Abraham wasn't born with faith. His faith begins as God speaks. The first thing that happens is that God speaks, and he speaks a word of promise. So look at verse 8, when God calls him. You see what it says in verse 8? By faith... Abraham, when called, when called by God to go to a place he would later receive of as his inheritance. You see, God calls him. It's the first thing that happens. God speaks, and he promises a land, and he tells Abraham to go to that land. God makes promises to Abraham. As we read Genesis chapter 11, we read of the promises God makes He promises Abraham a land. He promises Abraham um, a blessing. He promises Abraham lots of descendants. And the blessing which Abraham has promised would spread to the whole world. The God of heaven speaks and Abraham hears. God promises and commands. He tells Abraham to go to the land where he will be shown. You see, this is always the start of faith. Faith always follows from the word of God. You see, Abraham hears God call to him, and with those words ringing in his ears, look what Abraham does. When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, Abraham obeyed and went. He obeyed and went. Now, he didn't know where he was going, but he trusted God's word to him as God spoke. He trusted God's word, the promise that God made. You see, just think about the faith that Abraham had there. He heard and obeyed. That's faith. Hearing God's word, obeying it, trusting it, and doing it. And Abraham, as God's word comes to him, understands that word. He doesn't need to somehow decipher it to find out the meaning. He understands what, it's, what he says, and he goes to the land that God will show him. And it's the same for us. We hear the word of God. And we are called to have faith and to trust it. 
But turn right to back to the beginning of, of Hebrews, and you see the same thing as this book starts in chapter 1 of Hebrews. Right at the start of this book, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. You see, the whole book starts on the premise that God speaks to us in the, message, in the person of his Son. You see, we're not called to summon something from deep within us, some kind of faith that's hidden somewhere down within. We are called to respond to what God says to us. We're the, those who hear God speak and called to trust that. We, we sung it in our first hymn this morning. He by himself has sworn, I on his oath depend. You see the same thing. God speaks and we depend on that. We trust that. So Abraham was called and went. And we see exactly the same thing in the next example. Abraham's faith has faith in the word of God, even if it seems impossible. Verses 11 and 12 it seems an impossible situation. Abraham and Sarah have no children. Now, there's an, an impossible situation. How can a, a very old lady who cannot have children and her husband, who's as good as dead, have children? It's impossible. And yet, we read, the impossible happens. Sarah becomes pregnant and has a child, Isaac, who becomes first in the line of Abraham, a line which will become as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. It seems quite impossible now, can you, can you imagine it? Sarah and Abraham turn up at the antenatal clinic at hospital. They sit in the waiting room with all the other excited, expecting parents. You can feel, can't you, the embarrassment of the midwife as she approaches this elderly couple there to inform them that the elderly care unit's across the road. And while, all the while, round the corner, the rest of the staff are giggling at these couple who've come. And yet look at verses 11 and 12. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the stand on the seashore. The impossible happened. But how did it happen? Well, you see verse 11 again. He was unable to become a father because... He considered him faithful who made the promise. You see, God had told Abraham in Genesis 15 he would have a child. And the promise is reiterated. And the same principle stands that we've seen already. Abraham receives a promise from God and he believes it. Now, you see, Abraham's faith, and this is an important distinction, his faith is not in the impossible. Now, his faith is not in the impossible. You see, it's by faith, Abraham, though he was past age and Sarah was barren, was unable to become father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. We're not called to have faith in the impossible. Abraham was called to trust what God says, even if it seems impossible. We're called to trust what God says, even if it seems impossible. And so Abraham, when he was told, and told that he would have an impossible child, believed God. He trusted God's word to him. It's not trusting the impossible. It's trusting God's word. 
even though it seemed impossible. And God, who is faithful and trustworthy, gave him a child. The history of Israel attests loud and clear. Isaac was born in fulfillment of the promise. And as you look at the history of the Bible, again and again, promises are fulfilled. Promises which culminate in the person of the Lord Jesus and all he did and all he said as he died and rose for us. You see, so when it seems that heaven will never come, even when it seems that the new heavens and the new earth are not a reality and an impossible pipe dream, we trust the promise of the faithful promise maker. And we have seen in the Lord Jesus all those promises being fulfilled, and so we wait for heaven to come. We're called to look at Jesus and all that he's achieved, keep our eyes fixed on him and what he has promised to come. It's not an impossible hope. It's what God's promised to us in Christ. And God who makes this promise to us here today is faithful. And the way in which we continue in faith is listening to the words of Scripture, the words of God as they come to us. We look to what the Bible tells us and seek to trust God's words. And as we do that, we see God keeping his promises as he's always done. Well, faith's beginning. Faith starts as God speaks and people respond. Secondly, we see faith's focus. We see that Abraham believed and lived for heaven. We see it in verses 13 to 16. Abraham's life of faith was focused on heaven, and he kept that focus right up until death. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, along with him, longed for a better country. They longed for a heavenly country. They longed for heaven. And they were doing that because God had made promises to them. You see, and I love how that heavenly country is described in verse 16. Did you see it? They were longing for a better country. They were longing for something better. They wanted heaven, and they were longing for that. And he longs for that because God God made promises. Excuse me. He lived for that right up until his death. The same focus as we read about in verses 9 and 10. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see, he looked forward And look how Abraham lived because of that heavenly focus. You see at the end of verse 13, they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. They could live as alien and strangers. In verse 9, we're told Abraham lived in tents all his life. He owned nothing. He did not even have a piece of land to bury his wife, we read in Genesis. You see, he lacked what many of us consider so essential to life in this world. Security. 
Abraham could live with hardship because of a heavenly focus. Because he was focused on the promise of God that there was a better future, that there was a heaven for us, and he kept going. He thought of the life to come, the heavenly city, the place where we will dwell with him forever if we trust our God when he makes the promises. Now, it means that we will be willing to stand up against persecution and stand up for biblical truth, and even if it means being persecuted for that, because we are focused on a heavenly city to come, and we've got a, a faithful God. It means that we'll be willing to put up with suffering here for the Christian faith because there's a heaven to come and we are focused on that. And just look at Abraham. He could have eased his difficulties. Look at verse 15. He said, if they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. You see, Abraham could have gone back to the place that he left, back to Haran, with all the security that he might have found there. And yet he did not turn back for ease. His focus was on heaven. There's a fascinating account in in Genesis as Abraham is trying to find a wife for Isaac, and he sends a servant back to his, his old country to find a wife from him there. But he expressly forbids the servant to take Isaac back. He's told, do not take Isaac back to that land. You see, he didn't want his son to lose the focus on the promise of God, on the promise of heaven. You see, are we willing to put up with hardship now, keeping heaven as our focus? Now, I know people who who have not done that. They've considered the Christian faith is just too hard. I see it with, with friends who all they've wanted is a relationship and they found a girl and they started to develop feelings for them and they're not a Christian. They knew it wasn't going to be good for their Christian faith and yet for the pleasure that it brought them then, the satisfaction it brought them then, they turned to it. Now I'm not really sure where they're at now. I'm not even sure whether they would call themselves Christian. I've got other friends who've got jobs in London and been caught up in the corporate life of money and success and holidays and looks and making the most of life now, and yet the Christian life means nothing to them now, so it seems. They turned back for heaven now. They turned to look for it now rather than being focused on the heavenly kingdom which is to come. Not so Abraham. He kept going focused on the promise of heaven. And look at the wonderful words in verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Isn't that just wonderful? God prepared the city for them, and he's not ashamed to be called their God. But we've seen faith's beginning. God speaks and Abraham obeys that. Faith's focus, Abraham longed for heaven. Well, finally, we see faith's power, that Abraham believes in the resurrection. You see, the the, the writer recalls one more striking incident from the life of Abraham, and it shows the great faith that Abraham had. Abraham's told to sacrifice his son. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises 
was about to sacrifice his one and only son. See, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son, the one about whom all the promises are made, the one in whom all the promises of God seem to depend. Look at verse 18. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham was going to have descendants, and they would be named through Isaac. God promised that. If Isaac dies, then the promise seems as good as dead. God's promise would have failed. If Isaac's gone, then there would be no one to possess the land. You could see everything seemed to hang on Isaac. It seems that Abraham has been asked to surrender his future. He's jeopardizing all the hope he had. And yet as we read this, though, we see that Abraham's faith was not in Isaac. His faith is in God. Even though the promise of God related to Isaac, Isaac was not his focus. The word of God was his focus. And here's the key. He reasons that God must be able to raise the dead. He reckons that God must have power over death. And symbolically, that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, God prevented Abraham from killing Isaac, and in one sense, he therefore gets Isaac back from the dead. Abraham trusted that God's word, even when it seems impossible, and in it he found the power of God over death. The power which means that even though he died in faith, the promises didn't fail. God can raise the dead. The power of God over death shows the great power that there is in having faith. And of course, it's the same confidence we have. We've seen God demonstrate his power in the resurrection of his son from the dead. And we persevere in faith, focused on heaven, because we know that death cannot rob us of our inheritance. And as we move to a time when we all die, we can have confidence because of Christ's resurrection. We can keep trusting God right up until death, knowing that the promise of God is true and God is faithful. You see, what a great example Abraham is for us. The one who heard God speak and believed him, trusted him. The one who had a focus on heaven, who believed in the power of God over death, who believed in the resurrection, You see, and as we live, we are no different from Abraham. We still believe God's word as he speaks to us. You can summarize the message of the Bible as God saying to us, trust me, trust me. You see, we keep our focus on the promises of God, knowing that they are true and right and faithful. And so in one sense, we we are just the same as Abraham. We believe and we trust in the same way. And yet we are different from Abraham as well because we've seen Christ through the pages of the Bible. Christ who was the culmination of all God's promises, of everything that God had said. You see, Christ brings all God's promises to completion. The center of our faith is now Jesus Christ. He is the one who is in heaven now at the right hand of God. And as I close, let me just finish with these words from chapter 12, the reason that we're being told everything in chapter 11. Let's finish with these words from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray that you would help us to hear your words and to make an effort to keep hearing your words as you speak them through the pages of Scripture and help us to trust you as you speak to us. Father, help us to keep our focus on the promises which you make to us, the great promises of a future with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth which you will make for us. And help us to keep going now, even if things are tough, knowing that there is a better country for us, trusting in you who can raise the dead and who can bring to completion all that you promise. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.